The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you all, but let me tell you, I'm more excited to have our guest on today. He is the founder of a Aligned Real Estate Partners, Mr. Axel Ragnarsson. Axel, thanks for joining us today. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Cody. How about yourself? Man, I am great. It is an honor to have you. We we were just chatting folks offline, uh, getting trading tips. If you're if you're not uh, listening and watching Axel stuff, you got to go find it. We'll, we'll link it all in the show notes and make sure we talk about it at the end, but uh, it's amazing stuff. So make sure you're going to check it out. Axel, just in case people haven't found you on the interwebs yet, would love to get your origin story where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you find yourself doing these days. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, I guess the nice things you have to say about what we're doing on our end and what I'm doing online. Um, so thank you for that. But as for the origin story, uh, I'll try and keep it pretty quick here, but uh, born and raised in New Hampshire. So Southern New Hampshire by the Massachusetts border. Uh, families were entrepreneurs. Uh, they, they ran a wood grinding company <laughs> of all things, right? So not in real estate, but uh, they ran a business and I was exposed to that, you know, from an early age, uh, you know, bought and sold things my whole life up until college, you know, never really had a real job, you know, quote unquote job was always making money on the side in some way. And uh, late high school, early college, I was uh, flipping cars. So that was kind of my, my business, you could say, um, you know, side hustle slash, slash business. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, this is nice and making a couple of bucks, but you know, what can I buy and sell that's bigger than this? And at the time, um, you know, just Google searching, <laughs> what do people flip to make money and stumbled upon flipping houses and, and therefore stumbled upon real estate. So was introduced to the world of real estate through the lens of flipping houses and um, started learning more about that strategy and uh, tried to figure out how I could actually do that my, myself and found bigger pockets spent a bunch of time on the forums, listened to a million podcasts, and eventually, you know, discovered uh, multifamily real estate and rental real estate, um, you know, the whole concept of passive income. So there I am trying to find houses to flip. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should look for multifamily, right? If I can buy it, you know, do the work once and kind of get paid in perpetuity, seems like a pretty good deal. So uh, in college, was looking around, found a, found a three-unit multifamily um, you know, this is six years ago now, and that was the first deal I did. And since then, you know, organically grew a portfolio of small multifamily, a lot of two to 10 unit deals. Um, and then a couple years ago, uh, wanted to get serious, I guess, about the business a little bit more serious and start scaling, both doing larger deals and working with partners and investors. So both locally up in New Hampshire, which is where I was buying at the time, um, you know, eventually moved down to Boston a few years ago. So I live in Boston now. Um, I said, we can do deals up there, but there's not a lot of large deals. It's a very small state. There's not a lot of 20 plus unit multifamily properties. So started looking out of state, uh, specifically down in Florida um, in some markets in Florida and uh, Texas, and then out in the Midwest uh, as well. So picked a few markets to go deep on. And in 2021, we did a few mid to large deals throughout these various markets. Um, and we started working with investors and partners. So uh, really, in the last 18 months, the business has grown quite significantly, and we've started working with passive investors uh, to place their capital into our deals. And now our business is very much um, buying mid to large multifamily properties with limited partners and passive investors, 
and um, you know, just looking to continue growing the business and that front. So that's probably about as <laughs> as fast as I'll as I can as I can make that, I guess. But um, yeah. but yeah, just a lot of organic growth, and here we are buying larger deals, which is great. Man, I love that. Uh, origin stories are always near and dear to my heart because there are so many people that get into this and they don't have a real estate background. They find it some part in their career and they get to leverage the skills that they have learned along the way, educate themselves, obviously, in, in the actual real estate aspects of everything. But it doesn't matter what you came from before. You can likely leverage what you've learned and, and gone through in your career into real estate. So absolutely love the origin story. Thanks for the brevity. I know we're a little bit faster than most podcasts, so we appreciate that. <laughs> One thing that, that I really appreciate you, you know, you're, you're pretty raw and real when it comes to a lot of the stuff you're putting out there. Uh, so we, I was really excited to have you on the show and talk a little bit about unsuccess stories, things that you've seen or, or had happen to you in your career that can help educate our audience and maybe even uh, help them avoid anything. Absolutely. So I'm sometimes asked about, hey, like what's your, you know, your biggest business related failure or something like that. Um, and first of all, I love the premise of the show too. I, I don't think there's enough time being spent discussing how things go wrong or, or why things go wrong. And most especially um, what people can learn from <laughs> other people making mistakes, right? Because I think that's really one of the best things of listening to podcasts is learning what not to do in a lot of ways. So um, I have a, a deal that that I got into. Um, I was a couple of years in the business, so we're four or five years ago now. That still is the most stressful deal I've been a part of by a wide margin. It was the uh, one of the only deals that I've lost money on. I lost a ton of money on it. Um, you know, almost ended the career before it even started. And I'll get into that. But I think just at a high level, there's two lessons that I'll get to at the end of this. Uh, but I'll give some context on the, on the deal itself. So. It was a duplex, so a small, you know, very small multifamily um, in a great market in New Hampshire, out in the seacoast of New Hampshire. It was a deal that was brought to me by a wholesaler um, who tied it up at an auction. So, you know, there was no opportunity to even walk the property because it was, you know, basically locked, winterized. Um, it was a foreclosure auction, so there was no access to the to the building. I mean, I I wanted to buy something in this area for a while, but I hadn't gotten into a project that was like a real significant rehab or something that required a lot of oversight, um, a lot of you know just capex funds or renovation funds, and a longer timeline. Everything that I'd done up to that point was very light cosmetic rehab and you know in apartments, and it was in just the grand scheme pretty simple. I closed on this deal. Um, the goal was to turn this into a single family house and sell it. It was basically a walkout basement. That was a, the second apartment, but it had more value being a large single family home in the particular neighborhood it was in. And, you know, this was a, I think the purchase price was 270. I think I was projecting to spend about a hundred grand on rehab, um, which was way more than I'd ever done, you know, without going too deep, quite literally every single thing that could have went wrong did go wrong. I hired the wrong contractor. Um, he had, he, you know, the, I hired the wrong contractor and then that contractor hired the wrong subcontractors. Um, I financed it with interest that was just, you know, I had a hard money loan, very expensive at the time. It was all I could really get at that point in my career. The, I mean, what else? I mean, materials, we overbought materials and ended up buying the wrong materials for the job. Cause I just didn't understand the construction well enough. Um, the city got involved because the general contractor wasn't pulling the right permits. I wasn't involved at that level. The, it, you know, it was supposed to be about a nine month project. I ended up taking 18 months because I had to go through a contractor and believe it or not, the second contractor I hired was also the wrong guy for the job. And by the time I ended up selling it, you know, I probably spent 180 grand trying to renovate it, sold it for what I thought I'd sell it for. As for what the loss was, it was, you know, 40 plus grand at the time, which was 
massive. I was 24. <laughs> it's like, I was like, holy, holy crap, this isn't the business for me. Um, yeah. You know, and so it took me a while to recover from that. But I'll get into the, the two big lessons, I guess, right? What do we learn from this? I think the first one is it is just absolutely critical to work with the right people. You absolutely can't hire based on price alone. And that's what I did on that project. I, you know, had a few contractors quote it. A couple of them were higher than I wanted to spend. Obviously, the guy that quoted it below what I, uh, you know, projected spending wasn't the right guy for the job. You know, I look back at that. I'm like, well, obviously, dude, how did you not know that? Right. If you're hiring contractors, especially contractors, because they quite honestly dictate the success or failure of a project, especially ones that are larger in the renovation scope. You need to get references. You need to know who their subcontractors are. You need to vet their business a little bit in terms of, do they have infrastructure? Do they have a website? Do they have reviews on Google? Um, do they have something to lose? Like That's a huge thing that I have now is I only want to work with people that have something to lose. This guy had nothing to lose. If he screwed me over, if he you know, didn't do a great job, if I fired him, I wasn't affecting the rest of his business whatsoever. So it's always great to work with people that have infrastructure, right? Whether it's an, any service provider. And, you know, the other piece of it is, especially when, when you're working with contractors on a project of that size, basically your role becomes a babysitter. You know, you have to check on the project multiple times a week. I lived an hour and 15 minutes away from this deal. You know, I figured I could hire them. I'll drive up, you know, once a week, maybe twice a week. Like every time I wasn't there, they weren't there, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, if you're going to get in a project like that, that's so dependent on you hitting your numbers, right? You need to make sure that either if it's either it's either you or you have someone on your team that can do that, or you're working with a contractor that you implicitly trust to manage that project effectively. So I would say that was lesson number one is I made a decision based on price and I was just too trusting of the person that I hired. And then all of those other reasons that I kind of outlined. Lesson number two that I think is really applicable, regardless of you're trying to do, you know, if you're trying to flip houses or if you're trying to, you know, buy multifamily or whatever was don't bite off more than you can chew. I bit off way more than I could chew. It was a project that was way above what I had experienced managing. Everything that I'd done up to that point was, you know, a two to 10 unit multifamily where we get a tenant out, you know, and we, we were going to put $7,000 in a unit, get it up to market rent, you know, very, very light rehabs in our property management company was managing all of those. So it wasn't even me physically managing that. And then this guy comes along with this massive renovation project. And I says, yeah, let me, let me get into that. When I had no real tangible construction experience, no project management experience, at least at that level. And I just, you know, I just dove into the deep end head first. Right. And I found myself drowning. So I think that it's good to stretch your comfort zone, especially as you're trying to grow your business. You want to get into slightly bigger deals. You want to expand your horizon and maybe get into new markets but really, really be comfortable with your ability to execute on whatever you're getting into. My, my whole analysis of it, it might've been young, dumb. I had success up to that point. I was like, yeah, I can figure that out. I can handle that. That's fine. No big deal. When in reality, um, you know, I should have either partnered on that deal with someone that flipped a bunch of houses or had a bunch of construction experience and leveraged their experience, you know, brought them the deal, we'll split it. Or I just should have understood that I'm going to really have to be micromanaging it and learning along the way. And, and like, you know, actively learning along the way to make sure that that, that outcome was great. So I think those are the, to sum it all up without rambling too much, I think those are the two big lessons is you really need to work with qualified individuals and whatever it costs to do that, pay it because the, the downside of the inverse is a much worse outcome. Um, and just don't bite off more than can chew. If you're going to, if you're going to get into something that's outside of what you've already done, 
make sure you have a real solidified plan of how to execute it or just work with somebody that that can help you along the way that's done it before. So I think those are the big two. Um, happy to dive into either of those <laughs> further. If you yeah, like. no, I listen, you mentioned it in, in kind of the tail end there. And I was going to ask about it if you if you didn't, which was, you know, I always tell people, I don't know the difference between a hammer and a nail. That's what my, I have yeah. a great partner. He's got a background in construction. Absolutely fantastic in that. That is his expertise, not mine. That's why I, one of the many reasons why we work so well together. That being said, I'm glad you mentioned that because if there are others out there listening or wanting to take on these challenges, I don't think they should necessarily walk away if they think it's a good deal. But hearing that, you know, you budgeted a hundred thousand dollars, you ended up getting through at 180. I would imagine if you would have brought somebody on board, whether it was like a mentor that you had hired or even just a partner you brought in and gave up a little bit of equity, it probably would have paled in comparison to what you spent on having to kind of fail forward and learn from those mistakes mm-hmm. than, than, than doing it uh, that way. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think what's funny is I look back and I bought it right. I bought it at a price that, that made sense. My renovation budget was on point. I was getting quotes from very qualified general contractors at 80, 90, 100 grand. That, you know, I look back, the guy that I ended up working with had a quote at like 65 or 70 or something like that. So he was a little bit below. The reason I spent 180 was not because I misassessed the renovations, it was because I had to fire the first guy and fire the second guy. So I literally just did three renos. You know, right. and, and you know, and anytime you fire a contract on a job, the next one that comes in is always going to want to do everything over again. Every, every contractor thinks every other contractor sucks. That's just what it is in that world. So, you know, they're going to come in and they're going to look at how they laid the flooring and say, I, you know, I don't, you know, this isn't up to my standards. I'm not going to sign, I'm not going to sign my name on this job, blah, blah, blah. And so for me, we, you know, we didn't do all the work twice, but we did, we had to do a lot of the work kind of, you know, multiple times. So, if I just worked with a really qualified contractor up front, yeah, maybe I'd still have run into these problems. And I still think I would have had a hard time managing a project of that size for sure. Um, but you know, it, it, but if I just brought somebody on, like you're saying, you know, not only would they have hired the right guy, they would have, you know, they would have been able to, to handle the contractor relationship a little bit better. They would have picked, you know, the exact right finishes. I picked some of the wrong finishes, right? All of those different things that you don't understand because you don't even know what to look for yet before you do something like that. Um, that's what gets you tripped up. So I, I am a firm believer. And if you're going to step out of your comfort zone, especially if you got a lot of money on the line and just absolutely, especially if you're going to work with investors, I didn't work with any investors on, I was on my own money. Right. So I can go to bed at night knowing, Hey, I, you know, it's not like I did anybody wrong. You know, you, you want to make sure that this person has done exactly what you want to do or what you're planning to do. Right. And can get you through it. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely spot on. It's one of those things that it's better to pay up front, whether it's for qualified, correct individuals or in a partnership. Uh, it's better to yeah. leverage that up front than try to do it on the back end or get caught up. Back to your point about you know contractors, that's their livelihood. They're not going to take somebody else's work, whether it's decent or not. That's not their work. So why would they want to sign off on it? So totally get, you know, that they would want to come in and, and reduce some of it because it's not their professional work because mm-hmm. that is their, that's their trade. That's their craft. That's their art. That's what they're there to do. So yeah, I, I it's, I totally and it's that. every service provider. And you can, if you switch property management companies, Oh, the last company, what, what, what the hell were they doing? If you switch attorneys, Oh, I would never draw that document up like that. If you switch real estate brokers, I don't know why he marketed it in that way, you know? So 
every single time you switch service providers, they're probably always going to have some <laughs> issue with the person that was previously working, right? Um, you know, is there a lesson in that? I don't know, maybe, right? But I think that it's something you should be prepared for as you, you know, if you have to make changes in your business, that's that's definitely going to be a dynamic that you deal with for sure. Well, listen, I love it. I think those two examples are uh, amazing examples to live by, whether you're in, or in single family or multifamily, you know, making sure you're finding the right individuals and not biting off too much so you can chew. Uh, there, there's a right, there's a right size to get into that kind of stuff. You, you don't want to go out and get your first multifamily and try and take on a 500 unit class A, you know, development project. Like that's exactly probably, probably not going to be your cup of tea. Uh, you're, you're going to, you're going to probably fail miserably that maybe you won't, but more than likely mm-hmm. you will. Um, Absolutely. So I, I think those are great lessons. Uh, listen, Axel, I, I appreciate it. Those are two incredibly valuable lessons. I can't thank you enough for being on and joining us and, and being open and honest about those types of things. Uh, for those that maybe want to work with you, invest with you, learn from you, where's the best place folks can find you at? Absolutely. So the best place is probably going to be um, either on Instagram or on LinkedIn at multifamily wealth on Instagram. I'm, I'm really active on there. Like Cody mentioned to start the show. Um, if you search my name on LinkedIn, I'll pop up. And then our website for our company is alignedrep.com. And if you get on the homepage there, you'll see we have some resources for passive investors, uh, you know, eight reasons why busy professionals should invest in real estate. Um, feel free to download that. I'll get you on our email list and um, you can find all my contact info on the website as well. Perfect. Well, we're, again, we'll drop all of that in the show notes for everyone to quickly access it and get out to it. Listen, if you're not following Axel on Instagram, you definitely should. He's got a lot of great content out there. So Axel, again, thank you for joining us. I truly appreciate it, sir. Awesome. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. And thanks for y'all watching and listening at home. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.